The Guardian. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes creating a professional website for your business, personal brand or portfolio so easy it's newsworthy. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer Guardian to get 10% off. Hello and welcome to Media Talk. I'm John Plunkett. This week it's a bit different. We're coming from the Oxford Media Convention, where delegates from the media industry and the government have come together to discuss the pressing issues of the day. Those issues are the ones that never go away. How do we regulate the industry, particularly in an increasingly globalised world, and what should we do about the licence fee? We'll find out how Culture Secretary Maria Miller and BBC Director General Tony Hall tried to answer these questions and how they fared in just a moment. Lots of debate here at the Sci Business School at the University of Oxford, and lots of interesting speakers too, including James Purnell and Harriet Harman, who you might have seen in the newspapers for rather different reasons not relating to the media. Anyway, the day kicked off with Culture Secretary Maria Miller, representing the UK government's position on the future of the media industry. She chose to focus on the internet, and in this low-quality recording, Miller bravely explains that, well, she's for it. The internet is quite simply an incredible invention. But we're wrong to say this is a different world where different rules of personal behaviour apply. The opportunities that an open, innovative and secure internet have given us are precious. We must not crush it with thoughtless, harmful behaviour, the naked pursuit of profit or overly burdensome regulation. And I'm confident that our approach, industry self-regulation first, Regulation only where necessary is the right one. Well, that was Culture Secretary Maria Miller kicking off the Oxford Media Convention. Some analysis in a moment, but let's hear first from some of the delegates. We're from the Advertising Association and we really appreciated her acknowledgement of the steps the advertising industry has taken to be transparent and um, uh, deliver consumer information through your online choices and ad choices which are basically allow people to opt out of targeted advertising and cookies and she recognised the very important role that data has for business on the internet and for broadcasters and media. I'm Colin Brown, I'm chairman of the Voice of the Listener and Viewer. The concentration is very much uh, in terms of the web and regulating online services. Our main interest is in broadcasting and there was disappointingly little about broadcasting. My name's Kerry Kent from Discovery. I think obviously this year is going to be an interesting one for looking at parental guidance on internet sites and how we can regulate both the internet and television in an era of convergence. Well, with me are uh, Ben Fenton, who's the former FT media editor turned uh, media consultant at uh, Edelman. And also with us is David Elstein, who I said before, how should we describe him? He went for troublemaker. Uh, so that'll be fine. Or what was it, uh, David? Kevin Peterson to... To Shane Warne. Kevin Peterson to Shane Warne. He's spinning our market out of the ground. <laughs> right, well, let's do just that. Ben, for, for listeners who were unfortunate enough not to, uh, not to make it here to listen to Culture Secretary Maria Miller's speech, give us a flavour. What was your take on what she said? Well, I didn't think she had any zooters, sliders or googlies in her armoury this morning. I thought that was a speech which could have been made ten years ago, frankly. It was about the internet, and she felt she had to tell us that the government considered the internet to be a very good thing. And from that point onwards, one felt, I'm not sure I'm going to hear anything great here. She vaguely talked about the importance of keeping information private, of making sure that the internet was this kind of nice place to be. 
but there was no actual details on any threat of regulation of the internet or any attempts to do it. And uh, to me, given that the Communications Act of 2003 is the governing piece of regulation for uh, the media industry still 11 years later and no prospect of being replaced, given that that act doesn't actually contain the word internet, it made me slightly depressed. And David, uh, put upon hacks here, we're kind of seeking for a news line. We didn't really get one, uh, as Ben suggested, from the speech. But the questions afterwards, Maria Miller was asked about Scotland. And she said uh, that if they vote for independence in September, uh, then they're going to lose the institutions of the United Kingdom. And one of those institutions is the BBC. I was in Aberdeen uh, only uh, midweek, still Monday. I went into BBC Aberdeen, and I have to say you saw an excellent operation there producing some fantastic local programming and I think proving the work of the BBC in uh, Scotland uh, considerably, uh, particularly their focus on um, local cultural programmes. But when it comes to thinking about that vote in September, I think we have to think what that vote's about. It's about whether or not Scotland wants to remain as part of the UK. And if the voters know that they don't want to do that, then it's actually a vote to leave the institutions of the UK and the BBC is one of those institutions. So uh, no more EastEnders, etc., etc. for for Scottish viewers. What did you make of that that idea, that threat? It is so completely bonkers that it's hard to believe that any, you know, sentient, intelligent human being would say it, let alone a government minister. The fact of the matter is the BBC cannot possibly afford to exit Scotland. It gets £320 million a year of licence fee revenue from Scotland. It's going to leave it behind for Alex Salmon to spend. Uh, it's got a 1,000 staff in Scotland, going to make them all redundant. It's got scores of transmitters in Scotland with open-ended contracts, going to carry on paying for those for the next few decades, going to keep its hugely expensive headquarters open, doing nothing for the next few decades. Scotland can buy the BBC's content in an open negotiation at any time. It doesn't need to keep the BBC going. But Scotland, I'm sure, will do a deal with the BBC after a referendum if there's a deal needing to be done and Scottish viewers will carry on getting all the BBC channels the way that Irish viewers do and Danish viewers do and Norwegian viewers do because that's the nature of the beast. So, you know, these kind of rather sad and empty threats All that they do for me is undermine the other threats that the government is waving at the Scots, like no pound and no EU and uh, all those other things. And when you realise that this one is completely bogus, it does raise a question about some of the others too. Ben, the issue of Scottish independence is hugely sensitive for the BBC, so much so that they say publicly they're not even thinking about it, they've not even given it one iota of thought, but how do they approach it? I think it's fairly straightforward. Glasgow's got its own East End, so obviously they can adapt that programming. Uh, not really an issue at all. And obviously, I mean, to amplify what David just said, and indeed to steal the joke you yourself made, John, uh, earlier this morning, uh, there is no way that you could make Hadrian's firewall work for the, for the BBC. So it is, it is emptiness. I don't think they, they really need to think about it very hard at all. It, it, as David said, a deal will be done if a deal has to be done. But it will be a, a series of compromises, and I don't think people in Scotland will mo- notice very much difference at all. The interesting thing, John, in this is... You know, if the BBC weren't so blocked off by government ministers trying to make sure the referendum ends in a no, they would be doing a deal now. They would be saying to the Scottish Parliament, to the Scottish government, OK, you want the equivalent of S4C, which we're spending £90 million a year of licence fee money on, in Scotland. 
we will make available an additional £90 million a year of uh, funding for Scottish content. You can run it as a Scottish channel, you can do it online, you can do however you want to cut it up. That's okay, and we will carry on providing all the BBC content after a, a, a referendum, and you will carry on remitting £320 million a year to our coffers. It's an easy deal to do. It's a better deal to do before a referendum than after, because after a referendum, you've lost the £320 million. So it's just a shame that the BBC is a British institution locked into the Westminster system, unable, even if it were willing, to do a negotiation. And Ben, more widely on the BBC's future, Miriam Miller said, uh, you know, let's get Charter and you out of the way pretty quickly and, and let's please keep it above the political process. The BBC is too important for that. Uh, how, how realistic? <laughs> well, there's your answer, but how realistic is either of those aims? Well, I'd be prepared to put some reasonable money on the fact that the word BBC won't feature very heavily in anybody's manifesto leading up to the, the election in 2015. And frankly, you know, nothing can happen before the election. Nobody's going to commit themselves to doing anything that's particularly anti the BBC, particularly pro the BBC before the election. And after the election, who knows what kind of government the BBC is going to deal with. So they would themselves be fairly foolish to make any statements strong way about what policies they were going to follow in, in the future. So it, it, essentially what Maria Miller said today was what we all thought, which is that really not much is going to happen on charter renewal between now and May 2015. Yeah, David, the big, the big vote for the BBC is not the referendum in September this year, but you know the, the, the rather bigger one in May next year, as Ben said. I'm not as sure of that. Whatever Maria Miller may say, let's go back to October 2010, when the last licence fee settlement was locked together in 48 hours. The temptation for this government, this coalition, to try and bludgeon the BBC into another licence fee settlement before the election, in which they, for instance, get the BBC to take over the over 75s licence fee payments, uh, must be very great. Because you can say, done and dusted, all sorted, charter renewed, and we've got another £600 million off the public sector. I'm not sure Cameron and Clegg are going to resist. They've got so little else to do that they could agree on. It feels like that is still lurking for me. Then what do you I, think? I, I don't think I agree with David on the grounds. So I don't think the Liberal Democrats would, would really wholly support Nick Clegg if that's what he decided he wanted to do, to try and bully the uh, BBC into signing up on Charter. I also think the difference between now and October 2010 is October 2010 was just about licence fee. This is Charter renewal and licence fee and you can't do it in 48 hours on the back of a fag packet and making the Director General of the BBC get off his train at Slough to come back and do a deal. That's all perfectly true. Charter renewal is more complex but actually the detail about governance there's only two or three options. Uh, we have what we have at the moment, which doesn't work terribly well. We have what the Burns Committee recommended last time, which might work better. It's three months' work. It's not 18 months' work. A licence fee settlement is always 48 hours. That's it. So you're probably right. It's not directly October 2010, but it is not something like you know the beverage committee four years of negotiation no, sure. before they finally arrive at something no sure that's true. obviously that's true but it, it's just a question of there being uh, you know less urgency on the bbc that the bbc can play a longer game on charter renewal than it can on license fee and i think it's not in their interests to settle before the election because they might get a friendlier government on the other side of it i agree that's that's 
why I think the coalition might say, no, you are going to do a settlement before. And it's in their court, not the BBC's. I, I really look forward to that happening because then we'd see an actual battle over the independence of the BBC because the BBC would refuse to do that deal, in my opinion. OK, well, it's time to draw stumps to return to your Peterson uh, shame on analogy. But uh, Ben Fenton, David Elstein, thank you very much. Also this morning, Tony Hall, you remember, Director General of the BBC, well, he addressed the conference and gave some more detail on how he'll increase efficiency savings at the corporation and hinted at how the requirements for paying the licence fee may extend to cover on-demand services. It started as a radio licence, then TV, then colour TV, and then a relatively simple change to the regulations in 2004 to cover the consumption of live TV on new devices. When it's adapted itself so well over decades, why do you suddenly give that up? Warming to the theme, he also offered this staunch defence of the licence fee. Universal access and the licence fee support each other. Because nearly everyone in this country uses this every week, we're not asking people who don't use the service to pay for it. Some critics of the BBC who reluctantly accept this case for the licence fee, or at least see that others accept it, have started to make uh, a different argument. They say the licence fee is a dinosaur from a pre-digital age, doomed to inevitable extinction in an on-demand world where you don't watch live TV. Well, the facts don't bear this out. Around 90% of all television viewing is still live, well under 2% of households consume only on-demand TV content, and this number is growing only slowly. Funding by licence fee therefore remains practical and sustainable at the moment. Well, that was Tony Hall there issuing a robust defence of the BBC and the licence fee. Uh, We've emerged uh, into uh, lunch at the conference and there's an an enormous platter. It's like something out of Game of Thrones. It really is. uh, I hope they're going to give this stuff away after and not stick it down the the dumper. Anyway, this is not the food podcast. Uh, This is Media Talk. (laughs) And uh, that person in the background is journalist and media commentator Kate Bulkley. Kate, how are you? I'm fine. I thought you were going to start asking me what kind of sandwiches I was having. (laughs) I can recommend the honey glazed sausages. uh. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. On demand. Available on demand. Kate, uh, I said there, Tony Hall issued a, a, a robust defence of the licence fee in the BBC. What did you make of what he had to say? Well, I think you, you put your finger on it. It was very robust. But I think what I liked about it was he actually had some figures behind it. He actually looked at the BBC and said, we've done this, we've done that. We've, you know, the licence fee is, has been stuck here and we've, got, we've still gotten value. We're still putting money into drama. I think that was the, the thing that really stuck in my mind was what he was pointing to as really issues that he wants to focus on. One of them is drama. He said that's clearly one of the things that makes us distinctive and if I have to cut other things I will do it just to keep the drama budget up. He also spent a lot of time talking about the iPlayer which I thought was also interesting. He clearly sees that as a, let's say a, a door in to the BBC and I think there's going to be a lot of discussion certainly among the producers and channel controllers at the BBC versus a the future media and technology arm about the role of iPlayer in the future, but clearly he sees it has a big role. But I think for me, the overall impression was that this is a man who has gotten his arms around how the BBC is moving, what they've already cut, and the fact that they, um, you know, they hear some numbers to back it up. So yes, very robust. Okay, well, two things to pick up from, from what you said. One, one is the iPlayer. He, he gave a bit of a a glimpse of his vision for the iPlayer, which would be much more sort of um, re- reflecting your interests and your sort of get home from work or whatever. You'll switch on your iPlayer and it'll, you know, if you like art, sport, whatever, it'll have a kind of menu of stuff, which is all great and I'm sure we'll love it. But I, I think the BBC's commercial rivals will have a lot to say about that because that's a walled garden. And if that's a sort of entertainment hub, 
that people are opening up when they get back into the living room. It's not going to feature ITV or Channel 4 or Channel 5. That's going to be contentious. Well, and he also said that the license fee should go for whether it's channels you watch on television or whether you watch it on the iPlayer. And that is also, I think, going to be contentious even inside of the BBC. Well, let's keep in mind that iPlayer does include all the other channels. So, I mean, I'm not sure he was actually saying the BBC iPlayer without ITV and everyone else, because everyone's on it now. If you go onto iPlayer, you can see every other channel, including the commercial channels. So I don't think he was necessarily saying that. I just think that the emphasis was, we have to move with the technological times, which is something we also heard from Maria Miller this morning about how, you know, we, we get the internet, we, you know, we regulate or we look for. Um, but I like the fact that he was sort of embracing technology rather than saying, oh, by the way, we also do this thing over here with technology. And the other thing he did, which uh, the risk of returning to the food theme, was he said that there's no more, no more capacity for salami slicing at the BBC. And we've got to act, uh, we seem to be implying that it's got to act something big to save another £100 million. And that's going to get people talking again about the future of BBC4 and whether it will be merged with BBC2. He certainly left a lot, of, a lot more unsaid than said about this £100 million. We're talking about it now. I will give you more view on that later, but I won't be drawn today. Where's that £100 million going to come from? What is it going to actually be? And that's, those are all questions, as you say, we don't know. I think the salami slicing thing, you know, that's a theme we've heard from the BBC over the years. Makes a lot of sense. I, what I really enjoyed, though, is in the panel afterwards, we had some other people talking about what he'd said. And, you know, the BBC already salami slices stuff in the sense that they choose what's going to happen inside of the BBC. Is it funding, you know, the world news? Is it funding S4C? Is it funding? What's it funding? And we've already had politicians coming in and taking some of the license fee and saying you have to use it for broadband rollout, you have to use it for digital switchover. So I think it's good that he says no more salami slicing, but we have to, we have to look at what that really means. Okay, well I think we're back to the lunch. I think they might, they might be serving pudding and coffee, uh, Kate, so uh, let's not miss out. All right, Kate Bulkley, thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, that was Oxford, and now it's time for the TV Lair, which, uh, fortunately for me, is on the route of the Oxford Tube uh, bus service. Unfortunately, he didn't stop, so I've had to come back to London and then get a cab back. But that's all right. The good news is we're with Rebecca Nicholson. Hello. Hello. But the bad news is that this is our last visit to the TV Lair for a while. For Tell a us why. While. For a couple of months. I'm going off to America. To, um, on holiday? For, for a very long holiday from the TV Lair. I thought it was about time that I got let out because, you know, there's no windows in here. And I'm starting to look a bit pasty. I didn't want to say. <laughs> but you really will be going to the Guardian's New York office. Is I will that right? Be, Have I guessed right? Yes, you've guessed right. Just for two months. And then I will be back here. And before you come back, we're going to uh, call you on your cell phone and uh, have a sort of remote... <laughs> Uh, stateside TV Lair special. Do I have to call it my cell phone? If you would, yes. Yeah, you'll try to... What do they say? There's loads of TV shows in America. But Apparently we, they quite like TV. Like, you know, House of Cards and Orange is the New Black. So go over there, yeah. watch them, tell us what they're like. Tell you what they're like. That, do you remember that used to be... I don't know if you ever had friends that went to America. Friends. I had the, friends. <laughs> I don't know if you ever had friends. But no, friends in, in school who used to go to America and bring back knowledge of this stuff that they'd seen. But that's enough of uh, stateside goodies. Uh, let's get back to the domestic agenda and uh, a very British... BBC One drama. Silk, with the lovely Maxine Peake, who is one of my favourites. And I've interviewed her a few times before, and she's Ooh. always... Yeah, just dropping a couple of names there before I go. Maxine and Peake. 
<laughs> um, she's just brilliant. She's smart and she's funny. She's great to talk to. And I can feel a butt coming on. Well, I liked the first series of Silk eventually. Uh, the first couple of episodes, I thought, what is this? Uh, but I somehow I stuck with it and ended up watching it to the end and really enjoyed it. The second one, I lost interest in quite quickly. But I thought for the sake of dedication to the TV there, I would start with this third series. And it's just so silly, isn't it? Did you watch it? <laughs> well, I'm about to have lots of opinions about a show I've never seen. <laughs> But for me, this kind of full smack bang, you got your kind of big Netflix house of cards on one end. Yeah. you got your quirky Charlie Brooker stuff on the other end. Yeah. And this stuff in the middle, like Silt, no one needs anymore. Well, the thing is, it's very entertaining. Oh, was it? Okay, I'll take all that back. But it's very, very silly. There's a bit where Martha, that's Maxine Pink's character, who is a QC, loses a case. She loses the right to appeal for one of her clients. And so in a sort of drunken strop, she necks a bottle of beer and puts Joy Division on the... There's a party in the courts. And so she, she puts Joy Division on and just dances to Love Will Tear Us Apart while she's necking a beer in front of all of these um, other QCs. I just think, really? Does that really... <laughs> Did that happen? <laughs> Did that happen? <laughs> Don't you watch Orange is the New Black and then turn this one and think, oh, this is like post-Watershed Children's BBC. A tiny bit. I mean, everything is just signposted from, you know, 10 minutes away and someone says, you're a bit emotional. She goes, is it because I'm a woman? <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I find it really watchable. I will always watch it till the end. It just makes me laugh. But it's just, I can't work out if it's good or not. I'm not sure. Okay, I don't well, know what the answer is. It's a programme I feel very strongly about. I like how you've been bringing everything back to Orange is the New Black for the past few weeks. I'm a man obsessed. <laughs> House of Cards is turning into Homeland 2. I'll tell you, it's got a distinct whiff of going off really? the rails, i tell you about Oh, yeah. no, don't say that. We're not going to talk about that. Okay, no. next up. Uh, next up, we should do some more British TV, good old-fashioned British TV. BBC Three have done a reality show called Hair. Next. <laughs> <laughs> Hosted by Steve Jones. Hang on, don't. Is it about hairdressers? <laughs> it's about hairdressers. Oh. It's basically the Great British Hair Off. They've got eight lovely hairdressers who have to do a, a hairdressing of the week. <laughs> and right, okay. They do a little bit of hairdressing history in between. And um, it's just the bake off. It's the bake off with hairdos. I've never measured these things before, but it turns out that cutting hair is actually less exciting than baking. And this has now been proven. And sort of, you need a bit of melon zoo in there rather than Steve Jones sort of grinning. Um, fairly inanely at a quiff but in fact one of the competitions in the first week is a quiff competition a quiff off who can do the best quiff Steve Jones very successful sexy man but from the X Factor to a reality TV show about cutting hair on BBC Three it's the wrong way around isn't it it's not quite the right way around didn't Channel 4 do a hairdressing or am I thinking of faking it am I thinking of that particular episode of faking it no you're thinking of the salon ah yes yeah which made some reality stars out of uh, itself for a brief time at least it's not really like that because you don't get clients. The, the salon was good because you had clients and it was about the people. It wasn't really about the hair. But this is called hair. The hair. The, the hair. This is called hair and is therefore all about the hair. At the end, they get to do a showstopper bake. Sorry, right. haircut. Right, yeah. <laughs> Where they um, do something spectacular and they are quite bizarre. But it's just not as interesting as cake. They should have called it Don't Scare the Hair. You need to give it a go, John. No, I don't. No, I definitely don't. don't. You no. don't. I'll just rewatch Orange is the New Black. Ding! Another reference. Right, and uh, the third. Uh, I'm hoping, because this is as... Uh, I think you've done this beautifully. It's your last you know, British TV layer thing. You're picking all these homegrown TV shows. So what's the last one? <laughs> the last one is the great homegrown drama True Detective. Oh, oh, starring oh. Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson you, you, and made for HBO. Blowing the, the theme United out of the water. States. I've already left. I'm, I'm halfway there already. This finally, finally started in the UK last week. It's about five weeks after it started in the US, which doesn't sound like a long time. 
But given the amount of conversation and chatter around it, it has felt like a really, really long wait. When I was a boy, I used to wait 10 years. <laughs> it's only, maybe it's even four weeks, four or five weeks. I've seen the first four episodes due to the magic of DVDs being sent over. And it's a really fantastic show. Lots of people are talking about it in the same breath as Breaking Bad because it's serious and meaty and takes itself very seriously. But the point of comparison that I kept thinking of was The Shadow Line, which I don't know if you remember Hugo Blick's BBC Two drama um, from probably two or three years ago, I think. Yes. And it was very stylized, very everything about it. Like the dialogue was very stagey and it was very theatrical. And you really, for the first half of the first episode, another one where I just thought, what on earth am I watching? This is so bizarre. But once you kind of surrender yourself to the world of it, then you can get... You can. I love The Shadowland. It's one of my favourite TV shows. Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey mumbles. Someone called him on Twitter, which I think is very apt. I find it quite difficult to understand what they're saying to each other. But So they're two detectives, and they're talking about a case that they investigated together in Louisiana 20 years ago. And the bulk of the episodes is, is 20 years ago, and then occasionally it flashes forward to them giving this interview about what happened. And Matthew Woody McCon- Harrelson's the other. Yeah, cop. Woody Harrelson, sorry, is the other. Cop. Matthew McConaughey is this kind of misanthropic cop who spouts all this kind of moody wisdom that is really quite daft if you take it out of context. But if you give into it, then it's sort of wonderful and I really like it. I'm a big fan. And how do they do the 20 year gap? Do they age them convincingly or do they kind Really of convincingly, pass it over? actually. I, I, either. McConaughey and, and Harrelson. I don't know why I'm calling them their last names. Like That'll do. Matt, <laughs> that Matt and Wood. Matt and Wood. They look good young. They either oh, yeah. look really... They scrub up well or they scrub down well. Either way, convincing in both eras. Woody but Harrelson could be, the, could be the man from... Uh, could be the, 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 the nascent barman from Cheers. He, he could, could be. be he could be. He looks very young and handsome. But not that he doesn't now, but he does look good as a young man he's lived a life hasn't he but I've requested I actually asked them to this is very um, privileged of me but I actually asked them to send the last few episodes because I was so into it and so engrossed in the plot that I thought I can't wait five weeks to see what happens at the end so the only other thing I've done that with recently is Line of Duty which is just I know we talk about this every week but Line of Duty is just incredible it's one of the best British things I've seen in ages and if it doesn't win lots of awards for Keely Horse especially then I will eat my the walls of the TV there. Yeah, well, and they're, and they're big as and well. they are actually edible. Are they? <laughs> now you tell me. Well, that's a hell of a, a big statement to, to, to leave as you, as you get on your jet plane. I'm really, stateside. Yeah, so much good TV. Line of Duty is the one I'm going to miss. I'm trying to watch it all before I leave, but um, hopefully there's a way that the BBC will let me because I can't miss the end of it. It's brilliant. Feels like you're using media talk as some kind of bargaining tool to get your favourite telly probably. Any of you are listening, can you send me the DVDs yeah. before Saturday, please? Okay, maybe it'll be on the plane. You never know. Worldwide, you never they know. Big deals you never know. Yeah, I like a comedy on a plane. Everything else makes me cry. The altitude makes me cry. Hmm? It does. Do you not get this? Getting on a plane makes me cry. I once watched an episode of Friends on a plane and burst into tears. It's the altitude, I'm sure. <laughs> I can't remember. I just sit crying. I always think I'm going to swallow my tongue when I get on a plane. I spend the entire time trying to grab my tongue with your fingers. But the more you do that, the more you think you're going to swallow it. So weird. I'm all right. As soon as I get my first gin and tonic. But until then, until the lights go off and the, and the, and the, uh, and the stewardesses feel safe enough to walk up and down. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bag of jelly, I tell you. you. I did a course. I did a fear did of you? flying course. Yeah, because I was in a similar way, except I couldn't fly. It got to a point where I couldn't fly. Fear oh. of flying course. I'm all right now. 
Now I look forward to it. I went on a press trip and for a treat on the way back, they invited me into the cockpit to watch it land. They had no idea. I nearly, <laughs> I nearly took the plane out. I tried to take a bottle of water and they said, oh, no water in the cockpit. I'm like, oh, I need water. I'm going to swallow my tongue. You idiots. Needless to say, everything was fine. Good. Anyway, on that note. On that note. Enjoy your flight. Thank you. I bet you wish I was sitting next to you. <laughs> I'm so relieved you're not yeah. sitting next to me. <laughs> well, I won't be in first class. <laughs> Right, Rebecca, thank you very much, and we look forward to catching up with you with your US TV TV layer special yes, in the uh, weeks ahead. I will see you in two months. And that's it for this week. My thanks, of course, to Rebecca Nicholson and all our guests from the Oxford Media Convention. You can leave your thoughts on our blog, or you can tweet me at johnplunkett149. Media Talk was produced, as ever, by Mr Matt Hill. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, drag and drop tools, and 24-7 supports. Squarespace also offers seamless e-commerce solutions for you or your small business. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content will look brilliant on any device. Start your free trial today. No credit card required. As a Guardian podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your new account by using the offer code GUARDIAN.